The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Kerr keeps Chelsea ahead of Arsenal. United leave Liverpool at sixes and sevens. And Villa scoring on the daily. Hello, it's Lindsay Hooper here, back after the first WSL weekend of 2023. And a brand new year wouldn't start without one of Sophie, our producer's lovely puns, to get us going with Kerr keeps Chelsea ahead of Yeah, we like that one. That starts off 2023 to be beaten, Sophie, if you can, as we continue. Surely, with the puns probably on the download today, uh, former Arsenal and England captain Faye White, who's more jubilant than... um, Well, are are you jubilant with a draw after after how it went, Faye, at the Emirates Stadium? Are you jubilant mood? Yeah, of course. A draw's better than a loss, but think they could have edged it slightly but also jubilant because Arsenal men won as well. <laughs> yes I was thinking on, on all levels and also performance factor I suppose for the women which we'll get on to and we have the best man in the house to talk about performance factor and do analysis with us the Athletics Michael Cox joins us. Happy 2023 Michael. Thank you and I think it's my pod debut this season so thanks very much for having me on again. You are more than welcome. I love this because I look at this lineup and think we can go full on analysis. I also think as well, um, that break, we've got to reflect on it. It felt long, didn't it? We talk about winter breaks wanted in the men's game. Four weeks off for most WSL clubs. Three for those that were in the Champions League. Do we think that that's too long a break? And Michael, I'm going to start with you because you cover both on a, a regular basis. Yeah, it does feel a little bit odd compared to the the men's game, although maybe not this season because there was a bit of a a break of sorts for the players who weren't involved in the World Cup. I suppose the strange thing is there wasn't that much gap between the Euros and and the start of the season. So maybe things could just be shifted around. Maybe if that was kind of a week backwards and give the players a little bit more time after the Euros. So yeah, it does seem maybe, maybe one week too long. And I think that probably causes problems with fitness with underloading and overloading throughout the season. I've read a lot about with regard to so many injuries in the women's game. So yeah, maybe that can be looked at. Mm, and West Ham's manager, Paul Koncheski, he said that he thought it was too long as well. From a player perspective, Faye, because we talk about that word momentum in football all the time. And if, if you're a player that goes into that break in top form, how are you approaching when you come back after that sort of length? Yeah, well, I think still mentally you're you're positive, aren't you? Because you can uh, look back on those performances and how you were feeling. But I think I would just balance it up with what it would be like if you had to carry on playing like the men do over Christmas and how that impacts your whole family and enjoying the occasion and, and stuff. So, I mean, we're always hearing the managers want more time, don't they? Or rest time because of internationals and like Michael said, with the whole Euros and, and the fact that we've got a World Cup that we've got to go almost straight into, um, especially for those international players. So I yeah. think it's just maybe getting it at the right amount of time Obviously, the fans won't like it, but from a player point of view, you, you do need some downtime and rest time. And I think that you can come back refreshed and energised just as much. But again, it's mentally, it's how you prepare and how you, you look at it 
those clubs that are struggling who've got injuries they'll be loving it won't they <laughs> because they they get that extra few weeks to get them you back. are right because that's exactly what Jonas Eideval was saying I mean proof if you want it that you can never please everyone because we've got one manager saying yeah I think it's too long and then you've got Arsenal's manager Jonas Eideval saying I'm in favour of the long break it gave us time to prepare and time to get some players back obviously Kim Little back in the starting lineup Leah Williamson also is back in the starting 11 so um not complaints from his side and that's where we'll begin with that huge opener to 2023 Arsenal against Chelsea at the Emirates the Arsenal captain advantage Arsenal still time for Chelsea and that's a good ball Kerr of course it's Kerr a crucial late equaliser for Chelsea Arsenal must have thought that they'd sealed a win with that Kim Little penalty in this one. But with one minute left of normal time, this happens so often with Sam Kerr. Up she pops, meets Yelena Chankovic's cross, which was just brilliant pinpoint, ending the game one all. So one point each at the Emirates. And before we get into all of our analysis, here's what Leah Williamson and substitute Frank Kirby made of the match. The Athletics' Charlotte Harper started by asking Leah about Sam Kerr's goal. Her movement's obviously excellent. She she rises high. She does good um, to to get away. But yes, yeah, it's, it's probably on us. Really, we're in a low block. We should be defending that. We feel like we did enough to win the game. Um, I'm disappointed. The sun was a real a real problem uh, in the second half. But ultimately, um, a good a good game against top of the league. Um, we played well and we'll pick ourselves up and go again. Some people say kind of when you come on the pitch, the magic really happens. <laughs> you know, that Kirby combination we haven't seen for a bit of time. How, how did you feel today, and especially in that second half? Looking? Yeah, I just wanted to come in and try and be, bring a bit of energy, try and get on the ball and, and try and make some things happen. So, yeah, I mean, you can only do what you can as a sub coming into a game. It was a bit, little bit frantic. So, yeah, just calming it down, getting a bit of composure on the ball. So that was my main task when I came on. Any sense of frustration at times, poor decision-making from your teammates, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in a game like that, the, the stress levels are quite high. So you want to try and stay as composed as possible. And it's not always easy in a game like that. So, yeah, I think that's something that we need to work on as a team, I think when we do get in them stressful situations when it is them decision makers in and around the box I think we need to be a bit more a bit more clinical a bit more composed but you know obviously we're just delighted to get the point today I think obviously it was a rocky period that we were going into so yeah I mean I think we're, we're just happy that we came away with the point. Frank Kirby and Leah Williamson there. And I wanted to start with the Williamson-Kerr battle. I spoke to Kim Little, who was player of the match uh, for Sky Sports, and she was saying that in the huddle afterwards, I don't know whether both of you were watching this on TV at the same time, but there was a very long huddle at the end of the game. We're used to seeing them for both Arsenal and Chelsea. And at the end, Leah started addressing the teammates. We couldn't see what was being said, but she, she clearly was expressing herself about the match. And I spoke to Kim about it and Kim said yeah Leah was trying to take responsibility for the goal but obviously we're a team and we're not going to let her do that but I thought the battle between the two of them it was a fantastic one all afternoon Faye and Leah didn't really put much of a foot wrong was it just a case of that just one switching off or or was it the quality of the, the pass and the quality of Kerr just full stop? Yeah I mean that is the quality of her heading ability certainly when I saw that cross and the goal you did think typical. She only does need one off 
chance and and perfect cross and perfect kind of uh, flight of ball for her to uh, get her head on the end of. But straight away, I did say as a centre half, you can't allow her to do that. You can't allow her to peel off your back shoulder or just not be aware of her because you know of how dangerous she is. With Leah, I looked at it and thought if I was that centre half, which I played that right side position, you know, she's not in between the two centre halves. So she's pulled off of Leah's um, back shoulder. Although you might not have really expected the cross to come in from that deep position, but when there's no pressure on the ball, which there wasn't, she needed to make sure she was a lot closer to her, maybe even take that step towards her backwards in a way, because it's always easier to address and come forward as it is to try and, you know, once it's gone over it, she knows she can't do anything about it. So I, I, for me personally, I would have been like to have been felt, felt her to be touch tight, um, mm, not to yeah. let her draw you out too much and pull the big gap between you and the two cent half. But she is the threat in that type of area. So, and for Leah to put her hand up, and I'm sure she would have because she's that type of player to say, you know, she's near me. I should have dealt with it. I shouldn't have allowed, you know, allowed her to get that free header. It speaks volumes of her as a player because she assesses that quickly and knows that. Mm. Um, it's just disappointing that so close to the end to just have that switch off or just that assessment of how close she needed to be to her was not not quite spot on. Yeah, Michael, it was it was pitched going into the match as one of the key battles, but the other key battles in, in the match as well, what were your assessments of them? I think Arsenal were the better side for long periods, to be honest. I think the only thing that let them down was a bit of decision-making in the final third and maybe the fact they don't yet have the relationships with the attackers, obviously with Mead out and Meadmar out. They've got four very good attacking players, but I thought a couple of times just the decision-making could have been better. There was an incident in the first half where Lena Hurtig shot into the side netting when I think if she squares the ball, it's probably tapping for, uh, I think it was Caitlin Ford coming in at the far post. It was just the, the small details and I think on the balance of play, Arsenal can feel slightly aggrieved that they didn't get the three points, but then again, they only scored one goal and the goal itself came in slightly controversial fashion. So I think really Arsenal only have themselves to blame because, yeah, it was quite a big goal to concede. Let's clear up the penalty because post-match, I started having my phone going off, you know, in the tunnel area where all the interview rooms are. You haven't got that long before a player is being brought to you or a manager. And I could just see things lighting up. I'd got a couple of people that I know in the game messaging me, also someone who I know from a refereeing standpoint saying, actually, if contact happens outside the box, but continues inside then the referee is perfectly entitled to give it as a penalty. Is that your understanding as well? Michael, I'll start with you on this one. Yeah, absolutely. If if there's a bit of contact outside and then there's more contact inside and she gets brought down, then it is a penalty. I just didn't think there was necessarily enough contact. I thought it was... I actually thought it was good defending when I saw it live. I thought Charles got her body in the way. There was a bit of strength, but I was just surprised it was given as a foul, to be honest. So more of a 50-50 shoulder barge, which... Which, Faye, you would be annoyed with if it was you in your position? Um, yeah, and I mean, I looked at it and thought the initial contact was outside when my first reaction when I was like reviewing it at the time. And so I did think, oh, a bit, bit fortunate we've kind of got a penalty. But it is that grey line, isn't it? If that, I mean, it looked like from what I saw was that the contact was not really shoulder barge. It was more on the thigh, the hip area. So, I mean, I did, didn't really doubt that it was a foul. It would, should have been given a free kick or, or a penalty. But I can see, yeah, if that kind of contact and your body are coming together and that does continue in. But I, I read it as it's probably more a free kick, but it's so hard. That was after watching it after a few replays. The referee wouldn't have had that, that hindsight or that luxury. So she sees it in the moment. And 
first initial reaction was, yeah, it's going to be a penalty. But it was only the slow the slow mos that said, oh, actually, the contact's outside. So, you know, to expect a ref to be able to see that straight away in some situations when it's not a clear foot in the box or, you know, when it's a coming of bodies together, it's sometimes I, I do sympathise with the referees. Um, obviously, as a centre-half, yeah, because you wouldn't want to give, <laughs> give a, a penalty away. But I didn't have a doubt that it was a, at least a free kick or a penalty. I think Emma Hayes did also, of course, think that it was just a free kick, but she didn't go too heavy on it. What she did talk about more, she she mentioned it being the worst offensive Chelsea display that she's seen in a long time. So she thought offensively they just weren't at it. And she also talked about wishing that she'd made the change earlier because her, her substitutes did make a big impact, Michael. But she was saying that she wanted to get more players on Kim Little and she wished she'd made that change earlier. Yeah, that was interesting. I thought it was quite a cautious selection. I think the fact she went with Jesse Fleming was probably about trying to break up Arsenal's build-up play. And I think the absence of Kirby, to me, was a bit of a surprise. I mean... She did you know, say she, she'd had a knock-in training, didn't she? Which is why yeah, she's on the bench. But uh, I, I guess so. But, I mean, you think um, you think back to that FA Cup final at Wembley where, you know, Kirby and Co just tore through Arsenal repeatedly. It, it felt to me like Kerr was quite isolated in this game. And it was almost... It was really just her pace in the channels that was a bit of a threat for the Arsenal back line and, and Zinsberger came off and swept very well. But it was quite individualistic. I mean, I think um, I think James was probably Chelsea's best player going forward just with her, her solo burst down the right. But there weren't really any passing combinations. I thought Guru Reeton was, was quite quiet on the left. So yeah, it, until that change of formation, and to be honest, in, until the goal, you weren't really expecting Chelsea to get back in it. There was also this story which was emerging from outside the stadium before kickoff, Faye, about fans trying to get into the ground. It was fantastic to see that we had a figure that was over 46,500 at the Emirates. But a lot of those, if you were watching from minute one, you'd have thought, oh, there's never that many fans there. And then by the time you switch on at half time, it looks like there are that many because there were fans still filtering in for the first 20 minutes. Now, Arsenal Football Club did release a statement afterwards and they said, that quite a lot of fans all arrived at the same time. There needs to be better education, basically, about fans arriving at the stadium earlier and there might have been new fans going to that game. What was your reaction to that, Faye, as it was unfolding? Yeah, well, it's, it's a, like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because we want 40-odd, 46,000, wasn't it, over that, um, to be turning up and coming. And it, and that's the thing. It's a different makeup of, of crowd, isn't it, that we, that we see. It's families, it's young children. Um, and I think it's that awareness of, those parents and families to think you can't just rock up 10 minutes before and expect to get in because you used to go into women's games when the crowds were lower um, at a big stadium then they probably think oh there'll be loads of turnstiles open it'll be easy to get into so yeah I think it is a bit about the education I've been at some England games as a fan where again it's been loads of people suddenly turning up towards the the kickoff because they if you have I'm a mum now I have a young family sometimes you don't want them out too too long but you're, you're thinking oh we'll just go up before because they'll get a bit restless and you know they won't want to be waiting around for a good hour hour and a half before the game outside I've got keeping busy and that kind of thing so yeah it's um great that so many people are coming but it's just that little bit of get there early obviously bag security nowadays as well and with a young family if you have children with you you tend to have more bags you don't just rock up with your, your wallet in your back pocket <laughs> um, so like the like men men's at the men's games might a, a little bit so 
yeah, it's uh, you often see babies, don't you, in the crowd and yeah, so maybe it's just like planning so, and yeah, yeah trying so. to get that. I mean, whoever was there for a first time, hopefully they they really enjoyed the experience. I think the hosts really put on a show. Yes, Arsenal only came away with a point, but the performance was brilliant. And I think what we need to take away from it as well, Michael, when you look at the injury list, is that two really big players are missing for Arsenal at the moment, Mead and Miedemar. So. It looked like Jonas Eideval was trying out this new newfound attack. How do you think that they're going to fare going forwards? There's no question they would have been up for this game against Chelsea. They were at the Emirates. But how about the rest of the, the campaign when you've got long-term absentees? I mean, they've still got a lot of attacking options, haven't they? Despite the fact Mead and Miedema were out. I mean... The, the four they played yesterday were really good players. I've been really impressed with Frieda Marnham this season. I know she's a completely different type of player to, to uh, Miedemar. She's more of a kind of driving midfielder than a forward, but I think at times she can just lead Arsenal's attack. And they didn't have Katie McCabe, where she came on as a sub. They had two new signings uh, on the bench, Pullover and Cool, who I guess are long-term options, but you know, on the basis of the Euros last summer, both are, are able to contribute at the highest level for now. So yeah, Idava was still saying that he wants to bring in, I think, a proper centre forward. Obviously, if, if there's any injury to Blackstenius, then that will be a, a real problem for Arsenal. But I do think they've got enough to um, to go forward and win the title from this position. I just think they need the chemistry, the understanding between the the, uh, the front four. I thought it was interesting that the two who kind of did combine quite well on a couple of occasions were Hertig and Blackstenius, who obviously know each other from international level. And yeah, maybe it's just a yeah a few more games and there'll be a bit more understanding in the attack. And some new signings, all four on the bench for Arsenal. And I say new, Gio is returning after being on loan at Everton, but it was good to see them go straight on the bench. What do you read into this, Faye, from that result for the, the title race? Because it's worth pointing out that Arsenal last season took four points off Chelsea and they didn't win. So how much do we read into it? I, I mean, I was quite positive after yesterday. Yes, it was a disappointing so close to the end to concede, but I actually had the same thing. Oh, how are we going to cope without two massive players for us? And Hertig, I was really interested to see because I think since she's come, she's been injured and hasn't had a lot of game time, has she? Because I was quite impressed with her during the Euros. So I think physically she's she will add something to the team um, as well and obviously got the quality. So I was quite buoyant really from Arsenal's performance and how, because I always think that Chelsea sometimes bully Arsenal in, the, in those big games, but um, I didn't see that. I think Arsenal controlled the game and Chelsea were under par and obviously Harder's out isn't she long term for them too so but then yeah. they've got lots of quality so I just see it as it's still on it's still going to be lots of give and go over the next few weeks um, obviously United now got their six goals so that put them in second with the goal difference so yeah it makes it obviously more exciting for everyone but I was quite buoyant by Arsenal's kind of performance and they should certainly think it's still on and achievable and I'm sure they will be. All of the players were wearing black armbands. For Chelsea, it was because of the passing of Gianluca Vialli. And for Arsenal, it was all of the team wanting to support Beth Mead. Sadly, um, her mum, June, passed away with ovarian cancer. Uh, tributes were also held at Sunderland for her as well. And we had a, a dedicated show with Beth Mead when her autobiography came out and she spoke so so well about her family and how much her, her mum had supported her. So everyone at this show as well would like to pass on their condolences 
listeners, and I know that Beth does listen in from time to time. We will round up the result, though. Um, it was 1-1 in the end. And with that, Chelsea do stay top of the WSL with a game in hand, but Arsenal are now in third on goal difference. They're behind Manchester United, who certainly added to their goal tally on Sunday. Yeah, it ended 6-0 to United against Liverpool at Lee Sports Village. Uh, Faye, you were watching this one as well, so we'll begin with you. What stood out for you from United's performance? A really strong performance, fully in control. I mean, they scored in the sixth minute, so from that moment onwards, really, they were fully in control. And I think down the right, they were really productive. Ona Battier and uh, Garcia were linking up. Uh, Paris had gone on to the left side Leah Golden, I think, had picked up an injury in the week, so she didn't start. She wasn't even on the bench. So, but their combination down that side was really threatening. It gave uh, Taylor Hines, you know, a nightmare afternoon. I just think the formation Liverpool played in the first half it looked like they had three at the back, three main centre halves, and Hines and uh, Coavisto were the wingers, kind of thing. And on the certainly on their left, Taylor was struggling <laughs> to to put up with both. Bachier's kind of forward running and their com- combination and quite a lot of crosses were coming in from that side. I think Bachier did get two assists and so did Ella Toon. She, you know, often the assister as well. But I think really positive from United's point of view that it's five different goal scorers. Yes, five different goal scorers, which, which what do we read into that, Michael? Well, yeah, I think it's typical of their season. They've had 14 different goal scorers so far this season, which feels remarkable, really. I think 19 outfielders. So almost everyone who, who plays is getting on the score sheet. And, and it is good. I mean, it is a feature of their play. I mean, Alessia Russo is so good at leading the line, but also I think really good at linking play as well. She's not someone who just dominates the team and dominates the goal scoring. I think she's a real team player. And I thought her finish was brilliant as well. Just so instinctive. The goalkeeper probably knew where it was going, but still couldn't reach it. Um, yeah, it was just a really impressive performance. And I thought they seemed to regain the ball really quickly a lot of the time. It was just like Liverpool couldn't clear the lines, couldn't get out. And they're really coming on strong. I mean, they're very much involved in the title fight now. Another instinctive finish for Alessi Russo earned a, a Push Cash Award nomination. Let's see if she gets that. She could be the first woman ever to win. You may remember, I think it was 2014, Stephanie Roche. Uh, do you remember that goal? Yeah. It went viral, yeah. But she came, was it runner-up? We definitely haven't had a woman win it. That'd be great. Uh, if she we does. were going to have awards for assists, I'm sure Ella Toon would be popping up for those. As you mentioned, Faye, two assists for her in this game. She's the latest star as well to feature in the Athletics My Game in My Words series. If you've not checked that out yet, it's brilliant. Here's a taste of her chat with the Athletics' Katie Wyatt. Do you have any especially strong memories from your time at Grassroots? I don't know if there's a particular goal or a particular match or anything like that. Um, I think one of my first matches, my dad said, um, I'll give you £10 a goal and um, I managed to score 10. So, yeah, that always sticks out and dad always tells that story. He didn't know how good I actually was until I stepped out onto the pitch and he said that I used to get the ball off the goalkeeper and run through the whole team and score. So after that, he didn't he didn't say I'll have £10 a goal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Did he actually give you the £200 then? Or? Oh yeah, definitely. I wouldn't have let him not. How old would you have been? Would have been probably about six or seven. What do you spend it on at that age? <laughs> probably a pair of football boots. Can you talk me through your final goal? Yeah, that was crazy. I still watch it back now and get goosebumps, but in the moment I just remember the keeper coming out and 
me thinking I can't do much else other than to go over her. So, yeah, I'm just so glad it went in the back of the net. And, yeah, it, it's a special memory that will, will stay with me for forever. Was it one of those that as soon as you hit it, you knew it was going in? Or I don't know if you can describe the feeling of the way that you connected with it. Yeah, when I hit it, I thought, yeah, that's going in. But it felt like 10 minutes before the ball actually went in the back of the net. And I just remember me running off celebrating and celebrating like on my own. And then when it hit the back of the net, like the whole stadium <laughs> erupted and everyone decided then to celebrate with me. So, yeah, it it was mad at the moment at that moment in time. It felt like a lifetime before the ball left my foot and hit the net. Ella Toon speaking to Katie Wyatt there. You can read the full piece on the Athletic website. Uh, United's opponents, Liverpool, were missing Jilly Flaherty. This was huge news. She's just retired from football after, sadly, her dad passed away just before Christmas and she likened a lot of her memories to uh, to football with her dad. Um, now, Jilly Flat is the WSL record appearance holder with 177 games for Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham and Liverpool. She won four WSL titles, seven FA Cups, a UEFA Cup, nine England caps. She scored the first ever WSL goal and it was one that her family missed. Here comes the Arsenal corner then, short this time. Oh, Chelsea's resistance is broken. As soon as it lands in that no-man's area there, he's struggling and Jilly Flaherty was the first to react. Great finish. Good technique. The teenager scores the first goal of the new Women's Super League. It falls Arsenal's way. Yeah, her family were looking at someone else. They thought someone else had scored. I've spoken to Jilly about this before. Uh, you've been on the pitch with her, Faye, many times and you played with Jilly at Arsenal for, for a good period as well. What do you, first of all, make of the decision for her to retire now, but also standout memories of, of playing with her? Yeah, well, she was my centre-half partner in that game for that first ever. So we, yeah, I played alongside Maybe her. Maybe her family thought you'd scored. <laughs> so they, got, they got her confused with someone. A bit different in height difference between me and Jilly. But um, <laughs> no, I, I think that would, would have been one of my memories, really, is because as a centre-half, you don't score many and when your other fellow centre-half does you you know you're really pleased for them and she was very young at that time as well so yeah I think just for, for to have that kind of uh, always go down in history as the first ever goal scorer is, is a brilliant one for her but yeah I was a little bit surprised because obviously she's only 31 I believe so you do think oh, you know you've got to play for, I feel you've got to play for as long as you can but equally it's going through Obviously, just losing her father just before Christmas, it's a really hard, difficult time mentally for her. And I do know she was very close with her family, with her dad, particularly around football. He, he honestly championed her, you know, to have that special relationship with your one of your parents or your parents following you, supporting you and to be going through what she must be going through with that sad passing is, uh, is a hard one. So obviously, she was a great player, very lucky to have played for so many clubs and, and won so many titles as well. So, um, yeah, you always want to see the players that have kind of been there during the times when not everyone was watching, kind of carry on and get the most out of the game as well. And I think you should always pay tribute to those players that did help champion the game long before we're at the level that we are now. Definitely. Our condolences to Jilly as well for her father's passing, which has clearly hit her very hard. And then you, you look at Liverpool and it's good that they were so supportive over this decision as well, because they're looking at their personnel, Michael, and now they're, they're a defender down. Yeah, tough. And, and obviously from the, the way they played at the weekend, defence is a real, uh, a real issue for them at the moment. So um, yeah, that'll be tough. 
Chile's former club West Ham lost 1-0 to Manchester City at the weekend. That puts City three points behind Arsenal in fourth to extend their unbeaten run to 11 games in all competitions. The goal came from Bunny Shaw. Yes, uh, you didn't need the lead up there, did you? Because Bunny Shaw is who Manchester City are relying on for goals at the moment. In fact, both of the WSL's top scorers netted this weekend. Rachel Daly scoring the winner for Aston Villa in their 2-1 win over Spurs as well. Let's begin there because... Because Beth England in a Spurs shirt, Faye, I've I've struggled with this one. I probably will struggle even more with Jordan Nobbs in an in an Aston Villa shirt. But yeah, to score on her debut, it's it's just the start she needed. Yeah, it's brilliant for her. I I remember I think on the recent on one of these podcasts I'd done with you before, I was thinking she has to move from Chelsea if she wants to play week in week out. Said it, and I think I did say a team like Spurs would be perfect for her. (laughs) So when I saw that, I was like, "What?" At last, in in a way, it was almost like it's too late because. I hope um, you got a slice of that reported yeah. £250,000 fee then, Faye. Well, I wouldn't have minded, but I just <laughs> felt like, you know, she's got a great ability. She's an England international who we want to be playing. And I think if she had have been playing even before the Euros week in, week out, I think she would have pushed for the start after Ellen White initially. But obviously Russo then has come into the frame and, and kind of got that opportunity, really, just because she was playing more regularly. So, But then see her go on and move and then get a score – uh, I just felt like Spurs were certainly a team that were crying out for a striker and she would have, she was the perfect fit and it obviously has worked out that way. So, yeah, it's good to see her as, uh, from an England perspective, I find. Now, you know, Serena, it gives her a little bit of, hang on, I'm here, I'm playing regularly. Now I want to fight for that, you know, shirt for England yeah. as well. And it wasn't just Spurs with the new signings. Lucy Staniforth and Jordan Nobbs starting for Aston Villa. Big high-profile signings for them. And I've spoken to Carla Ward this morning. She was talking about being on the phone to Serena Viegman. I'm sure that Staniforth and Nobbs are going to be part of those future conversations. They started their senior careers together in Sunderland. So when you look at all these signings, Michael, including that one for, for Bethany England at Spurs, how much impact do you think they'll have at these clubs? Yeah, hopefully a big impact. I think it's good for the WSL. I mean, I mentioned it in my match piece after the Arsenal-Chelsea game yesterday, just how strong the benches are. And uh, look, big clubs are always going to have big squads and there's a reason for that, especially when you're playing in lots of competitions. But I think it's a tragedy, really, that Beth England has spent two years not really playing for Chelsea. When the the season they got uh, called off early because of COVID, she was very player of the year that year. I mean, she was the best player in the division. And Obviously, Kerr came in midway through that season. Harder came in afterwards. And I wouldn't wouldn't say she didn't have a chance because she did start some games. But there's so many teams in this league that could have done with a striker like her. And um, uh, Faye mentions the England situation. Obviously, she wasn't even in the, the squad uh, recently when uh, Serena Viegman picked that. So I wonder whether that gave her a bit of a, you know, put things into perspective. Like it's not just you're going to, you're always going to be an automatic pick for the squad. So, yeah, I hope she has a good good impact. Tottenham clearly need goals. And although, you know, you need to create chances as well, I think a player like England, she just creates chances for herself with with her running into the channel. She's so dangerous. Um, And I think with that midfield, they should should score more goals. Yeah, and she's in that situation, because you point out the last couple of seasons, where she's gone from not being relied upon to being 
the sole focus at Spurs now. And I wonder if that will make her thrive further. The win, though, for Aston Villa, that puts them seventh with a six-point gap ahead of Spurs in eighth. Down at the bottom of the table, we'll move on to that now. Leicester City scored their first points of the season. They beat Brighton by a a scoreline of 3-0, which I don't know has got enough attention. So we're going to give it some. Uh, It was the first game for Brighton's new manager, Jens Schuer, who's an ex-Bayern Munich manager. And not the start, Faye, that he loved wanted to get off to no definitely not obviously a quality manager that's had good experience in in the German league and obviously I just look at that and think well we've obviously brought a couple of players in already from the transfer and it just needs time to get his messages over maybe and, and get those players understanding each other first game back you know it was always uh, going to possibly be a kind of learning curve in that 90 minutes for him and those players but yeah, for, for, for Leicester to, to seize that, really, and, and put three in when they haven't scored a lot, and that's obviously their first three points, is uh, is a brilliant one. And maybe that was just what the message was in Leicester's um, changing room, really, as, you know, they've not done well this season. New manager, let's go for them. Let's, you know, really hold them back and, and uh, get ourselves three points here. And, yeah, well done to Leicester. But I'm sure Brighton will get better. Um, I'm sure there'll be some improvements, I think, there you know, probably likely to try and invest in some more players. I think they need that um, bit more experience and quality to be brought in, I'm sure. Leicester enjoying that four-week break. Uh, Michael, did we write them off too soon? Uh, well, I mean, I certainly thought they were going to struggle all season. It's good to see that they're not just going to be on zero points. I think it's really bad for the WSL when it's just a 12-team league and one of them gets cut adrift. It was a situation with mm. uh, with Bristol a couple of years ago as well. So, yeah, it could be a turning point. I do hope so. They've got some decent players in that side, so hopefully it's, uh, yeah, a bit of a turning point. Final match for us, uh, Everton, who are now fifth in the table, survived a late comeback from Reading to win 3-2, uh, featured a lovely long-range goal from Gabby George in this one. In the lead-up as well, I don't know whether you both saw this story last week, I'd be interested for your take on it, Faye, being a mum as well, but Reading's Emma McCandy criticised the pregnancy provisions from Reading and the FA. Uh, she said that she wasn't allowed to bring her child on site at Reading and said more research is needed into the return to training protocols after pregnancy. The FA maternity policy gives players 14 weeks fully paid maternity leave. That's mandatory. Uh, McCandy said that that isn't long enough. Reading paid for her to have longer, but she did say smaller clubs might not be able to do that. So it's a concern from across the league. I think we should also point out that Kelly Chambers did respond to this as well as Reading manager, saying that they did their best, but also that this is new territory for a lot of WSL clubs, Faye. I mean, where, where are you on this? Yeah, well, I think that is is precisely that, isn't it? It's um, until it happens, almost. It's I don't think football and football clubs certainly. Um, you know, you look at other areas of the setup of clubs, and it's always what kind of happens in the men's, and how do we bring that over? And so, and obviously, they don't have this issue as 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 much, do they? they you know, the male players won't want to bring their children into training when they come back from you know supporting their wives. So it's it's a very different situation, and it's the first time that a lot of clubs and are going to go through it and obviously now that those there are some maternity pay you know our decisions when we were playing it was very much all kind of can't do that until we stop playing because I won't have an income at all and there was nothing in place so it is stepping stones I think and the more it happens and these experiences then have to be talked and and worked with I think with the the players who've got that experience because um, now I've had children I do think, how would I have done it coming back into football (laughs) Um, Mm, and into that environment? So, 
Um, obviously, I did it, but and I work, went back into a working football club, but it wasn't as a player. And um, yeah, I had maternity leave through when I was at Arsenal and had pay, etc. But it was a very different situation because I'm not the athlete then. <laughs> so there will need to be more um, support and also more conversations with the people that are actually going through it and what do they need and what is able for you know employees to be able to employers sorry to be able to provide certainly an area for improvement and development on previous shows Michael we had Art de Rocher who became a period expert I mean it's a bit of a running joke on the show that he was on too where we spoke about periods we're not going to make you our maternity expert because we're running out of time so are you happy for us to leave that one there yeah other than I just had I was surprised it was only 14 weeks I mean that's my ignorance I, I assumed it would be more like six months which is obviously you know Near enough, double that. So yeah, and more that, in line with other workplaces. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, especially when when your workplace relies upon you being physically fit and and ready to go. I mean, yeah, I was really surprised it was only fourteen weeks. So I mean, it's it's things like this that bring it to people's attention, and and hopefully change gets made. Maybe we will get you back on when we talk maternity again. (laughs) In other news, over Christmas, Beth Mead won Sports Personality of the Year and she got an MBE. Uh, Several players were in that honours list for New Year. OBE for Leah Williamson, OBE for Sophie Ingle, plus an MBE for Beth Mead, Ellen White, Lucy Bronze, Jen Beattie and Kim Little. So we're crossing a number of home nations there. Should, this is for both of you, the whole Euro squad have been honoured. I just want your yes, no and justification, Michael. Well, I think that, you know, when you look at when the England won the 2005 Ashes and the 2003 Men's World Cup, all the players got an award. But then I think that has been toned down. And when England won the Cricket World Cup 2019, they only gave it to a select few players. So I think that's the approach now. So I don't really mind either way. I think it's nice when they get the award. And in fairness, I think with the New New Year's Honours thing, I mean, obviously women's football has been massively underrepresented in the media, for example, for a very long time. But looking back over the, the list, I think New Year's Honours has probably been ahead of the curve in terms of giving women a bit of you know representation, a, a bit of attention in that respect. So I don't really mind. But uh, yeah, it's nice for those who got it, obviously. Let's see which way Faye goes. Well, I got uh, just to clarify, yeah, with what Michael said, I got mine in 2007. So <laughs> it was yes. before a yeah. lot of the media attention. So, um, yeah, no, I, I did find it a bit harsh that a few were selected out. And then I just go to, well, if the men won the World Cup or the Euros, would they have done that in the football because of how big football is? Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I was a player, I would be thinking it's a bit harsh for me to accept it when the others don't get one. So, yeah, it's a squad thing, isn't it? That's where, mm. from a player point of view, you look at it. And I think Lucy Bronze did kind of say that, didn't she? Yeah. And that Euro success keeps rolling on as well. That isn't the end of the award season yet, whether it be from the King or whether it be some other sort of award. We now have the FIFA best list as well, which we can we can talk about. Uh, Beth Mead and Leah Williamson have been nominated for the FIFA best awards, along with some other big names that we have in WSL. Sam Kerr, Viv Miedemar, Emma Hayes is in there, Serena Wiegmann, Mary Earps. Uh, Russo's back heel, as I said earlier, has got the nomination for the Pushkas Award. Do we think that these are good choices or do we think there's some obvious nominees that are missing in this 
Yeah, no, I think they're, they're good choices. I did like Williamson being in there because she's a defender. It's always the strikers. <laughs> um, I, and Mary Ertz being keepers because, uh, you know, some of her saves against Sweden in that first half. Certainly we might not have won so comfortably if it was for that, wasn't for her. And, yeah, so I always liked that. But um, Well, OK, then I'm going to put you on the spot. It, as soon as you went in on the defender and said, yeah, I'm happy because of Leah Williamson. How about M- Millie Bright has been outstanding for a good couple of years? Really yeah, she has for England, yeah, she has. She's led the line. She's been that consistent one, hasn't she? So, yeah, I think it's sometimes it's you know Leah Williamson's the captain as well, so that adds it to it. But yeah, yeah, there's a strong argument why why she she not in there? And obviously, we always get the big Miedemar. You know, she didn't go that far in the Euros. Obviously, been in and out of it's been mainstay for Arsenal, but then had a breakout and. So yes. it's just sometimes I think with the women's game, it still is kind of the name and what you've done before rather than maybe what in this season. And yeah, it's a bit harder for those new names to, to push through. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, it seems a, a pretty solid list. I mean, it's it's obviously separate to the Ballon d'Or now. So the, the list end up being quite similar. You can kind of look through the top 10 of the Ballon d'Or and you see the same names. It was good to see Kira Walsh on there. I mean, I think Almost her contribution has been slightly overlooked in a wider sense because I thought she was England's most consistent player at the Euros. I know Meade scored a lot of goals. Williamson, the captain, they deserve the attention. But I thought Walsh was outstanding just throughout that competition and particularly in the final as well. So nice to see on uh, her name on the list. And um, yeah, this looks pretty good to me. I was just say one thing on, uh, yeah, I remember looking at the stats of Millie and L- Leah and uh not only obviously Leah's the captain responsibility, but the number of passes. I think Leah was almost up there with um, Kira Walsh with the number of completed passes during the Euros. And I was like, you know, because she does, she does set the tone from the, the back. So it's little things like that. Maybe you, you hope that these people that are picking this are looking at the stats as well as not just uh, the overall kind of names who are branded in the media as much comes back to my earlier point of you're never going to please everyone. I will <laughs> highlight that USA's Sophia Smith is missing from this list. And if we're talking coaches as well, and you say about that tradition of, of often having the same names or based on history, Faye, I honestly think that when it comes to coaches, we, we can do that as well. Because WAFCON was um, won by South Africa and their coach, Desri Ellis, isn't in the list either. So we should highlight that too. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. Coming up this week, the last Conti Cup quarterfinal places will be decided after Wednesday's games. In the Championship, the top two sides face off at the weekend as Bristol City hosts London City. And in the WSL, some uh, big matches as well, just outside the top three this time. Man City hosting Aston Villa and Everton playing West Ham. Out of all of these fixtures we've got to look forward to, uh, what are you most looking forward to, Michael? Uh, Chelsea-Liverpool. I think I'm going to be going along to on Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, that seems the pick of them to me. Yes, you're right to mention that one that's also taking place, along with Spurs, Leicester, Brighton versus Arsenal, which is live on Sky and Reading against Man United. Uh, Faye, for you then, siblings, I've expanded that list a little bit more. I was going to say City Villa because City obviously just one nil against West Ham, who I thought defended quite well against them. But with Villa, with their strength and how they're doing it this season, I thought that one could be a quite even and tasty battle. 
Yes, that's my early wake-up call, 11.30 kickoff. They keep getting earlier. It was 12 o'clock for the, for the derby at the Emirates. And I'm not good, Faye. I have to be there so early. And I'm not a morning person, Michael. We've never had to really engage really, really early, have we? But Faye may have seen me early on in the morning before. It's not a good sight. That's all we have got time for on this week's Athletic Women's Football podcast. Uh, Faye, Michael, what else are you up to this week? Are you at any matches? No, no, at the moment I'm not. I've got building work going on at my house, so I'm pretty much knee deep in dust and <laughs> organising and arranging stuff for that. But yeah, no, I'll be looking out for the games and watching them at the weekend. Don't don't you worry. You can watch them all on telly. And Michael, you might have a men's game, have you? I don't think I have this week, actually. No, but I have got the slightly unusual event of the Athletics uh, Christmas party on Thursday. <gasps> oh, uh, it's Thursday. I, you know what? I have an invite and I don't think I've even, I've forgotten all about it. You've just reminded me. If I see you there, it's thanks to you. Well, there you go. Thanks to you mentioning it. Delayed because of the World Cup, but it's the latest I've ever had a Christmas party, that's for sure. Can they even call it a Christmas party on the 19th of January? We can't, can't, can we? No, I don't like it. Let's call it something else. Let's call it, I don't know, we can still celebrate the women getting the Euros. (laughs) (laughs) All these other awards are. Why not our do? Thank you as well to producer Sophie. As always, as well to you for listening to this very first show of a brand new year. Keep in touch on socials at The Athletic FC, at The Athletic FC, that handle did change, and at Offside Rule Pod. Until next week, goodbye. The Athletic.